Hello. Hello, David. How are you doing? All right. So cold this week, huh? Sorry. What? We're, do we're doing a call this week. <clears throat> yes, we are. We're we gonna keep doing. Yes, back. Back to the phone. I uh, have to run some chauffeur duty for the kids, so I'll be bouncing in and out of the house. Hopefully, it will not be too disruptive for the phone call. Okay. And uh, actually, enjoying the phone transcripts and all that. Ah, are you? So, how did you enjoy Tuesday's session? I I feel like I keep making predictions and they keep coming true. Okay. So I predict that I can I finally am able to explain to you what it is I am doing. And so let's what? see if that comes true. Well what when? So I, what? I mean like when? Sorry? I mean like in a in a in eternity you'll be able to explain to me what you no, want to like, do. Like today. Today in the next forty five minutes. I'll be able to explain oh. to you what it is I am trying to do. Oh okay? I I predict I, I will not be satisfied with the answer. Okay, we'll find out. Okay, so a couple of caveats. One is that I think there's three different questions that if we could separate them, I could make progress. One is what it is I'm trying to do. Uh, the second is why I am trying to do it. And the third is whether or not it is interesting and likely to work. And if we could decouple those three issues, I feel like we can make some progress because I feel like sometimes I'm trying to explain one and the other two uh, confuse the issues. Are you willing to decouple those for me, at least for the purposes of this call? Uh, yeah, give me one second. Uh, I want to be thorough about this. Can you state them again? I'm going to write them down. Sure. Uh, yes, in the order I want to talk about them. One, what it is I'm trying to do. Okay. Two is why I am trying to do it. Okay. And then the third is whether you find it interesting or likely to work. Um, in my mind, three is, is always disconnected. Um, I, uh, it's not really correlated to anything, I would say. Um, well, yes, but in the past, you've been playing this game of trying to reduce it to something that was boring. And, and yes. sort of the meta point I would make is ask to suspend disbelief and focus on whether you believe me or not, whether you understand me. Oh, no, no, I think you misunderstand something. If I can reduce something to something boring like that, what I'm, it's a criticism. What I'm saying is you have failed to describe what you are doing in any meaningful way. Because I have reduced right. it to something that I think everyone would agree is boring. So right. That's, so first uh, question is, is I'm, first let's 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 be couple. Let me try to explain what it is I think I'm what I'm trying to do, and then oh, no, 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 let's no, focus no, on no. whether or not and see if you can repeat it back to me in a way that we both agree that you have understood me. No, okay, I don't. We have a problem here. Okay, whether or not okay. I find something interesting is not the point here. I'm saying I use that as a tool to demonstrate that you haven't actually described what you're doing. If you said like, if you just said, oh, okay. well, I just want to, I just want to be alive. I want to live my life, and I'm like, okay, sure, but you haven't defined enough for this to be meaningful to anybody, okay, not just fine. to me, but to anybody. So that's but, the criticism. It has nothing to do okay, with me. So, okay, so, well, but, but, so, so, okay. The the so first of all, let's just 
Well, I, I think one of the things that throws me off, if you say, well, it's not meaningful to anybody or nobody finds this meaningful, which is a sort of universal categorization that is not necessarily susceptible to proof or disproof. So let me just first see if, uh, let me just, okay, I'm gonna take another round to try and explain what it is I'm doing. And we'll just focus on whether you understand me and get the point I'm trying to make, okay? So I'm gonna take another framing and I'm gonna explain this to you and we'll see how far we get, okay? Um, okay, I, I guess I will. I mean, are you willing yeah. to let me try? Well, okay, what I wanna say here is that you, you brought up three things asking me to, to isolate them. And what I'm telling you is I don't understand how that's even possible. And so you wanna, okay, you wanna well, move forward, but I'm, I'm like, your premise here is something I actually reject. Your premise is that those are, so you're saying that even, so you're saying, you, you, which premise do you reject? That it's possible to decouple these three? Okay. Uh, when, when, all right. You said, like, I need to isolate and take, like, don't, don't isolate these three things. And the third thing is whether David finds it interesting. And, yeah. And what I say is, okay, well, literally that is already always isolated. I don't, I don't think I coupled that with anything. But what I would say is generally when I call something boring, I'm saying that you can take anyone in the group and let me talk to them and take the words that you have said, and I can convince them to admit that this is trivial. Okay, so that's beside the point. Okay, let me just say for this conversation, let's try and accomplish a small sub-goal and okay. see if we can agree on that just as a way to make progress. I want to describe to you what it is I'm trying to do in terms okay. which I think capture what is important to me. And then let's just see if you can understand what it is that I am saying in a way that whether or not you think it's useful or interesting or important, at least it makes sense to you that you can, you can both agree this is what I'm trying to do. Yeah, you see, like when you, when you say that, like Ernie, mm -hmm. it makes me think that you don't understand anything I'm saying at all. I think that's entirely possible. Yes. So your point is that I'm not sure I've understood what you said, and I'm not sure if you've understand what I said. So I'm saying let's start over again. Okay. Uh, I want. I, I guess what I'm trying to say here is that um, the 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 boring label is a tool to demonstrate that you haven't adequately defined anything. That okay. it's too vague uh, I, to have meaning. That's 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 what it's that's what it's doing. Right. So let me. I, I understand that's what you are trying to do with it. I'm not sure it's helping. Um, so I want to try a different route. Um. You're not sure it's helping. I mean, it. it yeah. I mean, I, I, I think I understand. It, 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 is, it is communicated the useful fact that you are frustrated and dissatisfied. I get that. That is a useful fact to you know. Think, like, I'm, I, I, what I would say is that, like, once again, you said something that isn't true. And, like, I'm, I, I feel like I need to be very careful with you because you keep making statements that are wrong. And it's, I think it's demonstrating that we're not at all in alignment here. Yes, that's what I'm agreeing with. That's why I want to start over and try a different approach. Well, no, what I'm saying, well, no, what I just said is that I'm not going to let you move forward as you state false things that go uncorrected. 
you want to repeat your so yes your point that I seem to be misinterpreting your statements or not understanding exactly the point you're trying to make and like I get that I acknowledge that that is a concern okay well I I didn't just say that it's a concern I said this is what I'm doing in response to it okay so what are you planning to do in response to it every time I hear it I'm going to stop all progress and I'm going to make sure that it gets corrected Okay, so rather than me trying to say what I think you want and what you think you mean, I'm saying I want to start over and try to explain what it is I think I'm doing, and I want you to work with me to to um, um, I guess to spend, um you mentioned that you're playing this game of reducing things to generalities. Was that, what, what, what was the phrase you used? Uh, I, I guess reducing to a trivial case. Yeah, so I think, I think my, my concern is that, let me try, can I suggest an alternate game to try? Which is... Uh, well, I mean, that's why. That's that's just how I, that's I, what's going inside my head. What what what, what business is it? What's, what's going, on, well, going so, inside my head? Because I feel like then, so... Anything I say can have multiple possible interpretations. I think we've established Not that a, that is a function of our interactions. Uh, if you get really specific, it doesn't. Well, I don't know. So the okay. So let me try. Okay, I will. I will try and see if I can be specific enough to describe to start describing what it is I'm trying to do. Okay. Okay. And I will try to that get is fundamentally what. That is fundamentally what I'm asking for. I want the specificity. Okay. But I, I'm asking you to try to be, I, I, I have, okay. Um, let me just start and we'll see how it goes and then we will have the meta conversation if we have to, okay? Okay, that's fine with me. So the best framing for what I am trying to do is to create something um, in a strange way comparable to a monastic order. Are you familiar with these things? Uh, monastic orders, yes. Yes. Yes, I am. Okay, good. So specifically, I'm trying to create something that is, um, so monastic orders I would characterize as being hierarchical, um, extractive, and centered around knowledge. In the sense that, uh, you know, even though some things like the Benedictines are very decentralized, there is very much the sense that there is an abbot who is the absolute authority, and in fact, the very word order uh, entered the language because of monastic orders. And that the idea was that spirituality was best pursued by people living behind cloistered walls, focusing primarily on God and secondarily on their. Uh, community uh, and only tertiary engage with the world. And that the primary virtue of these systems was the curation of knowledge, protecting the received wisdoms of scripture and the decaying Roman Empire, and uh, over time, you know, creating new forms of knowledge, which gave birth to the scientific revolution. Is that a 
reasonable characterization compatible with your understanding of monastic orders? Um, well, I, okay, as, as long as you're not interested in doing any sort of historical cr criticism of monastic orders, I don't have an objection. I understand, I think, what you're saying. Okay, fair enough. And so the, the thing that I am concerned about, as I think you are too, is what does it mean to follow Jesus? How do we learn to love like Jesus? And as I've been engaged in this journey uh, in various uh, forms and dimensions, um, it occurred to me that those three um, mindsets um, uh, were fundamental to most people's uh, unconscious assumptions about spirituality, including my own. Can you, can you and, name these three mindsets? Sorry? Can you name these three mindsets for my, my reference? Hierarchical, extractive knowledge. Or intellectual, if you will. would be more okay. parallel. Is that to be spiritual is about being, you know, submitting to this hierarchical authority structure uh, to be detached from the things of this world and to be acquiring knowledge. And those are the markers of spirituality. And so okay. uh, in my experience, which we can talk about separately, I've decided that those are actually have become uh, limits to both individual and corporate uh, following of Jesus. And so the vision is to create something which is as serious as a monastic order um, for people who are really deeply interested in following Jesus and learning to love like Jesus. But it is instead of, uh, I guess, hack, uh, hierarchical extractive knowledge, it is uh, dip. Uh, decentralized, incarnational, and uh, practice-oriented, uh, practical, or I guess practices, the acquisition of practices rather than the acquisition of knowledge. And so, writ large, that is the thing I am trying to do, is to build something that is uh, sort of an anti-order, I sometimes call it a complexity, uh, as a, because it's not trying to get to a place of rigid order, it's trying to get towards something of rich complexity, uh, but not falling into chaos. So decentralized, okay, uh, incarnational, and practical. practical. Okay, uh, so I assume each one of those is in contrast to the first three mindsets that you mentioned. Correct, from heck to dip. Okay, can you uh, explain each one for me? Or so is decentralized, this the definition of So we can go into so, so decentralized is the idea, I and mean, this was one of the big uh, motivations for the Great Reset, was that my interpretation of what was going on is that centralized systems were failing us badly, in some cases horribly. Um, and what was interesting is that decentralized systems were actually re responding remarkably well. And so the idea of a decentralized system is that it's not uh the same it's similar to but not the same as a distributed system in sense that there is some sort of centralization but power devolves to the edges um, and 
the best vision I've had of decentralized systems is the idea that there is local autonomous action in pursuit of a shared goal. So that's what I mean by decentralized. Uh, can you can, uh, can you say that again? So what was the word before autonomous action? Local autonomous action in pursuit of a global shared goal. Local autonomous action. Okay, I mean, like, I maybe autonomous is the breakdown there, but I mean, uh, uh, a hierarchy can have local autonomous action. Well, so the idea of a, a hierarchical system in contrast to decentralized, and I realize it's a bit uh, asymmetric in the language, but the basic idea is that in a hierarchical system, uh, the most important thing is to obey orders. And the idea of a decentralized is that power accumulates in the center, and that the center has the power to compel compliance on the edges. All so right, yeah, okay. So let me. How about I how about I say this? When you say power devolves the edges, um yes. I I think that's that's a good definition of what you want to say is decentralized. When you say local autonomous action, I'm just thinking any distributed system, whether or not it's hierarchical or centralized, probably has local autonomous action. And so that's not Okay, if you're happy with power devolves the edges, we can go with that. Yeah, I like that. I think it I think that's okay, what you good. mean. Okay, good. Let's decentralize. Right. Incarnational. The incarnational is the opposite of abstractive. That's a more discrete, uh, direct contrast. In that incarnational means that spirituality primarily takes place um, in the real world, in uh, the ordinary lives of human beings, which includes, you know, getting married, raising a family, having a job, having employers, having employees. Uh, being surrounded by people who don't all share the same beliefs and values, um, and that that is actually the paradigm for what spirituality is, rather than the paradigm being alone in the closet worshiping God. Um, oh yes, I feel like you're talking about societal integration. Um, uh, that's certainly a close concept, yes. I uh, and so um I, I guess what I would say is that um I guess there, there's a bit of a spectrum when it comes to, to how integrated you are into a society with the extreme monastic orders that you have referenced being like physically uh just uh separated from the non-theistic um, society, and all the way, I mean, to full integration, that includes even like um, theological integration, as in like you you actually assume the beliefs of the um, non-theistic society. Okay, I so assume if you use the word integration, no. right, so, so if you're using the word integration to mean that, then that's probably not the right word for you to be using. That's well, not I, a good I, way to map it on your incarnation. Yeah, well, I'm asking you, can you give me, where's the line? Sure. Tell me what the line is. Well, so so incarnation is precisely that um, it is to, I mean, it is to be like Jesus. Is that Jesus is, and, and let me, uh, so is that it is to live 
with kingdom values, uh, whatever they mean, uh, in the midst of every aspect of ordinary human existence within our, and that the goal is to in fact have kingdom values infuse and transform and redeem every aspect of human existence. And the implication is that the acid test of our spirituality is not what we feel in our prayer closet at 3 a.m., but what we are doing, you know, on the job, in the freeway, at home, at 3 p.m. And that that's actually the ultimate manifestation of spirituality is in the, is precisely in how we model Christ-like behavior in uh, ordinary interactions. Okay, I, I, mm, all right. You, you, you set up an, uh, a, a sort of duality between incarnational versus detached from things of this world. And, so I said extractive, uh, to be more precise. Okay, but I don't I said, know what extractive I, I, means. Okay, extractive means, sorry, they, let me define that term then. Okay, I think so you did when you said detached from things of this world. Well, let, me, let, me, let me define what I mean by extractive. Okay. So extractive spirituality means that, okay, if you want to be spiritual, leave your home and your family and your town and come away with us to this monastery to spend four years uh, in a, a carefully curated environment so you can understand what spirituality really is. Okay, and that, that's what I mean by extractive, pulling people out of the ordinary web of relationships and obligations. And uh, that is how you achieve true spirituality. That's, what the, that's the model I am referring to. I, I don't know. I mean, besides, I guess, the Amish, I don't know any, any group in the West that really, or some really smaller groups that really do that in the West. Really? Have you ever heard of a thing called seminary? I mean, have you heard of university? It's, it's education. It's a school. And they also have well, don't forget, yeah, exactly. And I, call, I, I think the university is an extractive model of education. Take people away I mean, from their I, communities in relation to obligation in order for them to focus on. So one can argue so that it's value and, and not you're against, that is what I mean by against, extractive. You're against a but, short period of time in which people uh, go to a, a school. So we're not going to argue about education per se at this point. I'm, I'm defining Ooh, the term extractive. So let me just let me just define the term. So extractive education, for example, is where you say, okay, you want to learn this thing, leave your home and your family and your job and come learn with us for a period of time. And then when you're done, you might go back. Okay, that's what I mean extractive. As opposed to the incarnational model, which is that, hey, you're wanting to learn something. Here's a uh, night class you can take uh, while you are living at home, working a job to improve yourself. That's just to distinguish the two models. I'm not making any global judgment on what is better or worse for different problems. I'm just trying to define the terms right now. No, I mean, so you are. Saying, no, I mean, like, look, uh, you're saying this is this is what the world does. You want to create a monastic order that does something so, different. You are making a judgment. So, so, so I, I, two different things. I'm going to kind of separate the two. First, I want to see if we can agree with the term extractive and incarnational mean. And I'm saying, okay, in this context, I would say that the traditional model of spirituality is extractive, and I think that uh, a better model of spirituality is incarnational. And we can argue about that separately from, like, at least having a shared understanding of the terms extractive versus incarnational. Okay, well, I, I guess what I would say is, um, 
Okay. What I I thought what we were trying to do was practically define what it is that you're trying to achieve. Um, if you want to go into whether or not, if you want to just say this is the definition of extractive, say that there are a lot of models right now that are extractive, I would have to just say no, that's not true. I, so I sorry. Think okay. Like, so let, let me let me be very precise then. So the way we train pastors in the West is we take them out of their context and say go away to seminary in a centralized location in a relational context which is um, uh, heavily structured and heavily hierarchical and that if you spend four years here studying ancient languages and theology you will be equipped to minister to be a minister of the gospel yeah I, I, reject every point. I regret what? every point that you made I, I reject every point that you made so you don't think that's what we do to pastors to train pastors? I, I, I think there are some pastors that do that. I think there are right. online seminaries. I think that there are pastors okay. who so, never so, went to sorry, seminaries. I'm not saying that is the I think, model. Okay. I'm, but I'm do you saying think that, that model that, exists? Okay. Uh, the problem I have here is that um, if if I go into you and I say, hey, I want to I want to create like a uh, small group, and the, the emphasis on the small group is that um, we uh we're gonna be a, a teetotaler group we're not gonna have any drinking of alcohol because uh i don't like that basically all existing christian groups are drunkards they're all drunkards and you're like no okay. they're not they're not drunkards and i'm like okay, yes so, they do they drink they drink wine and i'm like okay. well i mean okay. sure but in a okay. limited sense that's not that's not defining and i'm like so it's just sort of like you you took there are some okay. groups that have pastors that go away for a period of time that may be four years and maybe longer. It doesn't matter because that's not the point. And and you're saying that is defining the, the wider whole. And I'm just like, no, it isn't. It isn't remotely. Okay, well, so let's not say that I'm trying to talk about everyone. Okay. I can share my experience in the evangelical world. Okay. And I would okay. say that normative behavior in the evangelical world is that if you want to be a pastor uh it is expected and celebrated that you would go away to seminary in the evangelical communities i've been a part of i know that there are alternate communities and we're happy to talk about that but i would say that the mainstream normative behavior uh in evangelical churches and most mainline churches is for pastors to go away to seminary would you disagree with that statement I, I would say that the emphasis is that I would say that the only thing that people check is whether or not they receive the education that a seminary produces. I don't really? think that anyone ever. I don't think they check that they actually went away for a short period of time from society. I don't know. I don't think any church is, is insisted upon that, or even checks that, oh, okay. or even cares about that. So okay. So. Um, Okay, so let me make a more, so rather than making an empirical argument, I would say that uh, having the credential from a seminary was at least until recently um, a prerequisite for uh, uh, evangelical churches to consider you as a pastor. Sure, I can accept that, but I, okay. I don't think okay, the right, requirement was and, the, the extractive part. 
So the credentials part was a part of it. The second part of it is that um, the exemplary behavior is, well, let's say, I mean, at least every seminary that I, I mean, there, there are Bible schools, there are correspondence schools, but the, in the circles I hang out with, right, the going to a residential seminary, especially a brand name seminary, was a really big deal. It was a sign of seriousness about spirituality. That's one point. There's actually a larger point that I want to make, because I don't want to get too distracted in this one, is the implicit assumption, and this is something I personally have been trying to work through over the last few years. So let me just show you the anecdote. Is I had a Bible study with uh, this guy who was an ex-cop, and he, he was fairly new to a living faith. He kind of grew up as a nominal Christian and got uh, sucked into our little community. Uh, in his 50s, uh, or maybe even his 60s after he retired. And so he was really trying to understand the Bible and apply it. So he asked us one week, um, how do you find peace with God? And so we all came back and said, you know, well, we find peace uh, when we're worshiping with God at the church, when we're praying alone in our room, when we're walking out in nature. He goes, you know, that's great. Um, how do you find peace when you're at a bar at 2 a.m. and a junk drunk just throws a punch at you. And when he asked me that question, I was flabbergasted. It never occurred to me that I should be able to know the peace of God in that situation. First of all, I've never been in that particular situation, uh, but I've certainly had other difficult situations. And it never occurred to me that I need to, that I ought to be able to have the peace of God then, in some ways, just as much as I have uh, when I'm all alone in a self-contained environment away from the world. And I think that's the larger point of the vision of spirituality that I'm trying to reach for here, is that the kind of spirituality we're going for is the kind of spirituality that manifests in adverse circumstances in the real world, not just in idealized circumstances. So... Okay. Are you still uh, there? So yes, okay. So you see, like um, that's why I really like the detachment things of the world definition. Um, okay. I think that that does a better job getting at what you're talking about here. Right. Maybe um, engage might be better than integrated as the opposite of detachment. Um. Or even immersed. What, what would I say? Because I, I've trying to place my finger on this. Because I think I think I know. I think I have a vague sense of something that you're sort of getting at. Um, okay, good. I what would I trying to come up with a good example of something I've seen in churches? I guess. You know, I, I guess I would talk. I would mention um, any sort of addiction is is something that. Uh, people really struggle with in general, but the church tends to pretend like it doesn't exist. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, because it's just something that needs to be rejected or maybe, maybe, um, I don't know. Uh, porn is another one of those things in which it's just sort of the church just sort of says, well, you know, it's bad and we pretend like it doesn't exist, but then we just ignore the fact that, you know, pretty much we're all bombarded with, 
with the sexual images all the time and that it's something that everyone is sort of dealing with. And we don't, we're not open about that. We just pretend like it's not happening because it right. sort of seen as um, not fitting of proper Christianity. And so we, we just sort of, we tried to detach ourselves from this instead of just sort of getting in into the mud and sort of grappling with like these difficult issues. Yeah, I think that's getting closer to, to that. And, you know, another way of thinking about that is that um, it is if you um, uh, do something mildly annoying at a church service, uh, it's like a huge scandal. But if you live your life badly far from church, no one really uh, seems to know or care. It doesn't rise to the level of scandal. Or maybe, actually, let me give you a more personal issue is that um, a lot of church focuses on how we act at church. And there's very strict uh, um, expectations around that. And there's a lot of resources for what you do for those two hours on Sunday morning, but there's an extreme shortage of support uh, for what happens the other 190 hours of the week or whatever the math is on that. And so, you know, my vision of this is something that is trying to devote attention, energy, care, concern, support, technology, money, to helping people live out the kingdom of God the rest of the time. Okay, so uh, are you talking about just the, the sort of compartmentalization where people have like, this is my Christian life, which exists on Sunday morning, but then like the rest of the time, you know, I have like my real self and that like, I don't bring yeah. Jesus into my work and I don't bring, you know, my, my personal struggles into church. I keep them separated. Right. And you know, the, but also like the, the model from the church is like, okay, you're having a problem. Please come to the church. That's kind of our solution. Uh, as opposed to how do we bring Christ to where you are? I mean, I don't know. I mean, that definition I think isn't isn't very good, just because um, evangelism is about going out. And yeah, that, that's a very big problem for church. Well, well, yeah, I guess that's why I'm disagreeing. Is that like the only way we look at tends to be in, in the lens of evangelism, whereas discipleship, not always, uh, but sort of the formal models tend to be very church centric. Yeah, they said two thirty. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. So, uh, okay. So you're saying that um, we only we. All right. So evangelism is the only exception to that. Ah, uh, yeah. That's actually. That's oh, but, but, but you know, right. at least you know, evangelism. But like, uh, of all of the evangelism training I've done, probably. 90% of it was done at the church, even if the actual acts of evangelism, you know, happened out in the marketplace. And those were sort of rare and far between. Okay, so maybe maybe this would be a better definition. Um, I don't know. So so you're saying like uh, there's this 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 tendency of trying to bring problems and people into the church instead of bringing the church into problems and things. Yeah, that's a good phrasing. 
so because okay so like the idea is you you uh it's better to invite a friend to attend service than it is to try to talk to them about jesus it it it's better to uh try to um when it comes to dealing with any sort of issues they what they do is they create groups in the church and you you deal with it within the church you don't go to where people are at you don't go uh pick up you know brother johnny at the bar who who's, has a drinking problem instead you just wait until he shows up on sunday and then you deal with him there um right okay yeah i i can see so you're you're, you're okay with my characterization of this? yeah okay. i like my characterization okay, okay. so uh joshua ron for bacher 4 Uh, you should definitely cut that out from this. Good point. I'll try and figure out how to do that. Um, okay. Okay. Uh, so, okay. So the third point was practice. So this was a kind of pointly, uh, this is a thing, and maybe not every church is like this, but it seems fairly deeply ingrained in the evangelical churches that I have been part of and in my own cultural habits, is that we assume knowledge is strongly correlated with spiritual maturity. All right, we're back. So there. Okay, yeah, we'll just cut off that whole middle section. So what I was saying is that um, in the parts of the evangelical and mainstream Christian I've been part of is we assume knowledge is correlated with spiritual maturity. Um, I've had a Sunday school teacher once tell me, oh, you know, that, that kid is really spiritually mature. He knows all the answers. And then when she says, she goes, wait, that doesn't sound right. But, you know, she didn't really have an alternate answer. And that's kind of been my experience as well. And one of the visions, which I think I finally have a better way of articulating now, is that I think spiritual maturity is really how good we are at practicing loving like Jesus. But we have a lot of machinery around the accumulation of knowledge and very poor machinery around practicing loving like Jesus. Is that making sense? Um. Yes. Um, I, I think if I, I like what you, you said, equating it with spiritual maturity. So, I mean, like, I, I, I certainly don't, I think I will not ever appreciate acquiring knowledge, as, especially knowledge about God as a unacceptable or bad goal. Um, but I would definitely say equating having knowledge, including knowledge about God, and equating that with maturity, spiritual maturity, is, is that's definitely not good. And so I think that's probably where you want to aim at, what you're trying to say. Right. And, you know, two phrases, two, yeah, two Bible verses that I always come back to is, one, uh, you believe in one God, good. Even the demons believe and tremble. Right. So or someone once put it, yeah. you know, the devil is a better theologian than any of us and is a devil still. Um, but yes. the second thing, I think, is one that I've rarely heard preached on. Uh, but it's in the Bible, it says knowledge puffs up, 
but love builds up. And so there is a sense in which the Bible says that knowledge can be a bad thing if it's not uh, being used for love. I mean, like, uh, I think that kind of goes hand in hand with the whole faith without works is dead. Yes. So, like, knowledge without works is also dead. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And it's even toxic. Okay, yeah. So that's the, so what I would say both from a, okay, so though that's the best framing I can give for what I am trying to do is uh, from heck to dip. And again, the terminology is not necessarily ideal, but I think you're at least getting the sense of what it is I'm trying to say and do. Yes. Um, okay. Without specifics, I do have questions. Okay, you have a question now, or you want me to get into some specifics? I, I have. I guess I have questions now about these three things. Okay. Yeah, we only have about ten minutes, so let's maybe try and get those questions on the table, and then we can pick up the rest. Later time. Uh, do you, when you say decentralized, does that mean that there should be no centralized power of any kind? So the ideal scenario from my perspective is what I consider like GitHub, where there's centralized authority but decentralized power. What's the difference between power and authority? So, for example, uh, in in the olden days of software, right? Uh, if you worked for a company, they owned all the software, you own none of it. If you didn't like what they did with it, tough. In the modern world of open source software, uh, you know, you have a fork of the software, and there is a sort of master branch that community normally accepts as the definitive place to go and where all the pull requests and commits are uh, incorporated. But if you think they're doing a bad job, you have full power to take all the code and say, let's do this instead. And the only thing that keeps people there is the authority, the authorship of that status. And so my vision okay. of this is to create a global community, but the only thing we share is sort of like uh, a uh, belief that it's okay to you know, use this namespace to do anything. And if anyone feels like we're doing a bad job, they can fork and they have access to all the same resources uh, that I did. It's only just the brand equity and the and the uh, uh, the namespace that they'd have to give up. Okay, I I guess in the open source community there is there is no central authority with maybe a couple ex with one exception. So I no, think every of, given open source project has a core team, right? There's that's that's sort of like authorship. Maybe is what right, you're saying. Authorship. Authorship. Yeah. Okay, authorship, centralized authorship. That's that's fine. But that means like they have no authority over anything but themselves, and everyone has, you know, individual authority. I mean, they have. I mean, so for example, the the pick your favorite open source project. Oh, let's go with WebKit. So WebKit had uh, a centralized repository, and they had a a core team that made things a certain way. And at some point, Google was participating in it. At one point, Google said, "You know, we don't like." this decision-making process uh, and where you're going, we're gonna fork the code base and, and, and set up our own authority uh, because you didn't wanna do the thing we wanted to do. So right. I mean, that's what I mean by authority is 
you know, if authorship is a reasonable synonym. But it's more than well, just individual, I, I, it is organizational. No, no, no. Okay. I asked you whether or not there could be any centralized power. You said no, but there could be centralized authority. And I'm like, it's not centralized authority because it's it's only authority over over oneself. The authority doesn't extend to anyone else. Well, usually when you have okay, so another example would be the Linux Foundation. Or I mean, so when we say it doesn't exist anyone else, I mean there is a group of people, so for larger projects, there's usually a group of people who say these are our norms. And this is how we are managing this code base, right? So that's what I mean. It's not just individual; it is social. But it's not central. So we agree we will make decisions this way. There's no centralized authority. Okay, if you don't consider that centralized authority, then maybe we're just using the terms in a different way. Okay. So, um, but all right. I mean, like you, you just stand. Your stance is no centralized power. Okay. Yeah. I think I think we can both agree on that. That's what you're saying, okay. no centralized power. Okay. Okay. Good. Um I I guess I guess the the same questions for the, the incarnational. Um are you are you against there being any sort of um church place that you, you bring people into? Like so where there's there's several layers to that answer. First of all, I think there is a place for people to gather together physically. Okay, I think that's an important thing for people to be able to do. Absolutely. Um, there's sort of just the, let me distinguish between um, what I'm trying to build with this thing and how I would like the world to be organized. Uh, okay, so this thing, the, the, with, with the great reset, the sort of monastic order or complexity, is intended to be sort of a horizontal layer. It's a thing people can do from anywhere at any time. And most of the time, these people will also be involved in a church and should be, I am, right? And so uh, I'm not opposed to that because I think that's right now the best option for having local gatherings and community support uh, with the geographic focus. But in my idealized vision of the future, I would flip the model. I would say that people's primary connection should be to uh, the, their little discipleship circles or what do you want to call them that are part of some common sort of internet type uh, communication network. And that these groups organize into collectives that uh, join together to rent a space to host events. And so they become the client of the building rather than the owners of the building. Because in my experience that when a lot of pastors, uh, their job is 80% property manager and event planner and 20% actually helping people become like Jesus. And I would love to liberate are most godly people from those financial responsibilities and decouple the spirituality from the event planning and facility management. Did that answer your question? Um, okay, but I mean, like, I. 
church church is more than just a building and a set of events it's also a um a union of uh beliefs and practices and uh are you also asking for that to to be sort of inverted um well the way that i would imagine it working just if you want to know is that uh, I would I, I want to see those decoupled, right? Uh, the I mean Jesus is the one who said where your treasure is there your heart is, and I happen to take him literally on that point. Uh, if we spend eighty percent of our time and money on the building, then that's where eighty percent of our energy is, uh, of our heart is. So what I would say is, so my vision is something more like a mission board, is that you have a, a mission board in my denomination, you even call it like an apostolic council or whatever is that their job is to really oversee the flock and really focus on their spiritual growth and development and the practices and beliefs. Uh, uh, I have a nasty allergy to the word belief just because of the way it's abused. But, you know, the, the uh, a shared understanding, shared practices, and that they contract with, uh, you know, a building management team or an event management team to run all the stuff. Yeah, so I have to, I have like two minutes left. Do you have one That's last it. question That's or shall we pick up later? Those are the questions I have for now. Okay, so did I explain something? You explained a lot of things, yes. Okay. Do you feel like you at least have a better understanding of what I'm trying to do, even if it's still not satisfactory? Uh, yeah, well, my understanding increases with every conversation with you, so absolutely. Okay, that's good. So hopefully this will give you something, and I can go into more concrete details of what I think we're doing now, uh, but I'll also be happy to follow up with additional questions offline. I guess, are you absolutely insistent that there be no centralized power? Well, I mean, what I am saying, the thing I want to build, I'm trying to build in an open source model where I personally have no centralized power. Right, I'm talking the there Ernie are, model. There are other things which are important, like, you know, centralization is important for a number of things. Um, you know, but I would like I'd prefer to live in a world which is a sea of decentralization with islands of centralization uh, rather than vice versa. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I agree. The world centralized because for good reason, and those reasons haven't all gone away, and probably never will. Uh, but there's other things now. All right, gotta run. God bless you. Thank you, David. All right. Bye. Bye.